Donna Otto and we are Modern Homemakers. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Throughout the seasons I get questions. They're sent to me or asked of me on email um, and so today I've gathered a handful of them and I want to introduce to you again or reintroduce to you Crystal Goodman. Hi Crystal. Hi Donna. It's nice to have you on the show. Thank Crystal you. has been the executive director of Modern Homemakers and has held every hat in this ministry, I think except behind the podcast microphone. And uh, she and her husband are going to share a portion of their uh, journey and walk of faith and life. Very soon you'll look forward to that. We've talked about it before and we're going to get it done. And today, Crystal is my... Oh, are you the interviewer? Um, I'm the question asker. Okay, the question asker. I like that as well. So you ask and I'll answer. Uh, okay. Remember to keep me on track because I, I bunny trail so far with a question because it goes, right. oh, well, it's there and I want to be sure I said everything. So welcome to the questions and answers with Crystal as the question asker. And I'll give the answers. Go. All right. First question. What would you recommend as a good way to deal with sibling rivalry? <laughs> Have one child only. <laughs> and then they'll cry for siblings. That's a very a sound question. And I think no matter what parents are doing, the tendency to look at the person who lives with you, who is no doubt close in age, but certainly in the same, same family structure. So I want to say this in two parts. Um, one is we have a f two families that have seven children each. And I see sibling rivalry in those families very differently than I see a family of two or three children. And I think that's because in the big family, there's so much going on. There really isn't as much attention as, as, a, as there is available in a small family. Mm -hmm. So with seven kids and everybody at the table and everybody's making noise and everybody's going to school and everybody has classes and everybody has events and often most of them in both families have been involved with sports. So I think I want to say though to moms and dads who are raising these children, look for it. Look for signs of rivalry. Look for signs of one getting more attention than the other, one excelling. Um, I can think of a family where there are two children only, a boy and a girl. The girl is the older girl and smart as a whip book knowledge. The boy, the younger one, isn't so smart book knowledge, but has an amazing mind. And I see they want to compete with each other, and I watch the parents do a really good job giving each of them ample time to be acknowledged, to be put on hold, 
and to learn and have freedom to learn their own way. Yeah, individual individuality. Mm-hmm. Honoring that. All right. The next question. I have trouble finding time for my Bible study. So she says, I feel guilty when I only read my Bible and I don't study it. However, I feel like there's always interruptions. The kids get up early in the morning. I'm tired late at night and um, doesn't know what to do about her Bible study time. Oh, that's a great question. And it's, it's one we all ask. But I think there are a couple of facets to it. The first is that Bible study, Bible reading, prayer. All right, let's go into the disciplines of the Christian life. And how about one or two books that I would recommend to you that have as many as 75 or 95 disciplines of the faith, things that will grow you and connect you closer to God. So Bible reading, Bible studying, praying, listening to God, all of those are an important part of um, enjoying a relationship with Christ and um, continuing to grow it. So I would say to this woman, Good job, well done, that you're recognizing that, that you struggle with this. Ah, I would ask you to free yourself from guilt. That's not a voice that's God's. He doesn't want you to feel guilty about anything. And I think study has its own place. I frankly recommend that Bible study be done more effectively in a group where you get an assignment and then you come back together and discuss that assignment. Trying to study the Bible on your own can be very tedious Mm -hmm. and hard to know how much to take under your belt at one time. Uh, Prayer and Bible reading, especially meditative Bible reading, where you just read a short passage. This is not about getting through the Bible. This is not about finishing it. This is about uh, reading the Bible for what God may be saying to you. Remember, the Word of God was written for all of us, not only as a guide, but to speak to us directly. And, and I, I would just want to add, Crystal, I think the thing I hear the most when I'm asked this question at a public place, a, a forum, a conference, or someplace that I'm speaking, they, there's a lot of nodding about um, reading smaller passages and hearing God speak to them. And often people say, I open my Bible, I put my fingers down, and I read something, and God spoke to me. And and I know that most people say, well, that's not a good way to do it. And it's not a good way as a pattern. But the Word of God can speak to you right out of Ezekiel and dry bones because it is alive and vibrant. So thank you for asking that. That's a good question. Sure. So I have two different questions here, but basically they're both about praying, praying scripture, praying for sick people, and how do we pray when our prayers don't seem to be being answered? Mm. And then um, as well as if asking for a miracle is okay to pray for. Oh gosh, that's those are wonderful questions. You are they they're linked together. Well, um, 
more prayer. Uh, I guess I want to say uh, less talk, more listening. Uh, less talk, more listening. Now, as you can imagine, and Crystal will nod her head vehemently, I talk a lot. Um, I talk less than I used to. That's a very encouraging thing. But when it comes to my relationship with God, he is not the God I talk at. He's not. He is mighty and grandiose, and I gaze upon his beauty, and I don't have any words for that. So being with God and not having any words is a form of prayer. It's more listening prayer than speaking prayer. Is there anything you shouldn't ask God for? The only thing you shouldn't ask God for is something you know he's already spoken about. I've been working with women for a lot of years, and yes, I've had more than one woman say I'm having an affair, and I've asked God to give me this new man. Mm -hmm. And I can easily say that is not a prayer that God will entertain because it has already broken what he's told us to do. So be careful that the prayers you're asking as far as requests are concerned are not things you already know the answers to. Mm -hmm. Should you pray for a miracle? Oh, you should pray for a miracle. And I have, and Crystal knows, of the family I'm about to speak of, um, <clears throat> a family who went through tragedy upon tragedy, the loss of one child, and some years later, the wounding of the second child that they expected to lose. Now, there is tragedy, and then that kind of tragedy just overwhelms you. I was there at the hospital. I saw their brokenness. But I also heard them say, when the doctor said, 72 hours, if he lives for 72 hours, it will be a miracle. And they said, good, that's what we're going to pray for. It'll be a miracle if he lives there. That's what we're going to pray for. And people gathered around them to pray that God would save him. And that was five and a half months ago. Is he out of the woods? No has a lot left to repair and restore. Did they pray for a miracle? Yes, and I remember one of the woman's dear friends saying, I'm praying for a Lazarus miracle. Mm -hmm. So I think it's all right to ask God for a miracle, but it's also all right to accept what God chooses to do. I don't think there's any prayer that can't be whispered to God except the prayer that you already know he's answered. And I, I think I also want to say, don't ever give up on praying. If you say, I'm not, I don't feel, I don't feel connected. I feel it's dark in my soul. He's not listening. I, I'm not a good person. It's okay. Stay faithful to speaking in communion with God. Okay, here's a good one. Where is the line between honoring and respecting a domineering mother um, and yet asserting yourself as a grown woman and mother yourself? 
Oh, did my daughter write that or what? Maybe. (laughs) Did you write that for your mother, Crystal? Possibly. (laughs) What woman hasn't thought, oh, my mother is so domineering, my mother. (laughs) My mother is always right. That's what I've heard. And often mothers are right because they have all this experience and they've been there. They've done what you've already messed up on. And so they want to tell you how to miss a mess up. That doesn't work. Um, I I think the two words there, honor and respect, are what's important. The scripture is very clear to tell us that we are to honor our mothers and fathers. I think honor and respect are closely linked. But does that mean that we agree or obey our mothers all the days of our life? And domineering mothers, who are often truly domineering, which is not a positive characteristic. Or they appear to be domineering because, as a young woman who I meet with said to me, my mother is always telling me that she is always right. And the truth is, as mad as I am about it, she is often right. Okay, So that's a point uh, that comes with respect for the fact that this mother knows something that my young friend doesn't know. Scripture is very clear to tell us to honor I think it's getting through our own um, life disruptions, our own attachments, our own determination to create our own lives, which may be very different than the life our mothers wanted us to create. Honor is different than obey. Very clearly, the scripture tells us that we are to obey our parents. But when we become an adult, the obey word is no longer a part of the structure of our relationship. I do not have to obey my mother. Um, I do have to honor and respect her. And I'll tell you this. If you have angst with your mother, if you have ought with her, if you need to forgive her, it will be easier for you to show respect, even if you disagree. (laughs) once you have dealt with the unforgiveness. That's the thing that stands in the way of saying, I respect you. I respect a lot of people who don't think like I do. I love and respect a lot of people who don't think like I do. My mother is long gone now, but um, I went through that because my mother, um, she really just wanted a lot of my time. And now I wish she were here so I could give her more of my time. But the reality was I no longer had to obey what she told me to do. God had called me to honor her. And when I got through the phase of forgiving her for some things that she tried to make me do as an adult, um, I, it was easier for me to honor and respect. I don't, think, I don't think it's a small thing because the scripture speaks of it so often. And it is the Ten Commandments that follows into the New Testament. So mm-hmm. Old Covenant, New Covenant, honor and respect. Okay, how about one more question we'll have time for? Okay, how about this one? I know that fear of your children being hurt or mm-hmm. losing them is an attack from Satan. Please advise some kind of plan to combat this negative thought process. Okay, so she fears it regularly. Um, fear is what, the that's the unfortunate part. Um, <laughs> I was thinking of, um, 
We did a lot of camping and hiking and backpacking when our only child was a young child and a young, young adult, high school and college years. And she always had a friend because she was an only child. And I can still just vividly see, as Crystal asked this question, at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, a tall tree that had a rope, and you climbed up on the rope, and you swung out and dropped into the water. Now, I wasn't going to do that. Um, I was never going to do that. I got no way, Jose, never going to do that. But my girl wanted to do it. And her father said, sure, sure, you can't be hurt. I'll go first and you can see how I do it. And I, I that, that was real fear. That was real fear. But I think often, and to the point, and that's the first idea that came to my mind, I was not afraid for her safety as much as I was manifesting my own fear. I would be fearful to do that. And I found in uh, safety issues, um, letting children walk next door by themselves, go to the library by themselves. We live in a society that that has changed tremendously. Um, you know, baby on board, uh, parents are, are much more fearful, and they have right to be. Uh, while abducted children are very few in our country, they're always notable, and they are seldom found. And so we all got very fearful and changed the culture by protecting, and I think overprotecting. But that fear is not the child's fear Usually, it's the parents' fear. Fear, Scripture tells us that we are not to have fear. God's love overcomes fear, and faith always overcomes fear. Do I have faith in the process? Now, I watched dozens of people climb that tree, swing out on that rope, drop into that water, including my my own husband. And then there went my daughter. And she was delighted, and she was fine, and I don't know how many times she did it. The truth is, at the very end of that time there, several hours, I did it. Terrified. I was terrified. But I've had this thing for myself that when I get afraid, I recognize, and I didn't learn this on my own. I can remember the person who, who helped me understand this. She was an older woman, and she said, that's your fear, and you're putting that fear on your children. Um, at the time, we had my uh, two nephews and niece living with us, and I was fearful. Um, I went from one kid to four kids, and there was a lot of transition and a lot of change. So I would push myself to try things that I was fearful of so that I wouldn't impose that fear on Anissa. But I think when we ask God to relieve us of our fear, and we do that by faith, we're less likely to be fearful. I do know this. The last few years, you moms who've had children at home trying to educate, refresh, feed, enjoy, work your own jobs, try to market when there's no food in the market, and fear has been 
hanging over us like a cloud that you can reach up and touch. So if this fear from this question is predominantly in the last months or the last several years, um, I would ask you to consult with God about the realization that that fear was real and that He has sustained us and that we look forward to a new future where that fear isn't as prevalent. Well, thanks for these questions. We do pile them up and uh, take time to do them every so often. I'm always amazed through my life of teaching and traveling and speaking and writing books that so many of the questions are about the same. Every generation of young moms comes to the same place of being anxious and fearful. And yes, I know the culture is different. I think, frankly, girls, as I end this time, I would say to you, be more fearful of the technological influence on your children than any other fear and uh, do your best to combat it and be uh, willing to make the changes necessary in your whole family. I'm Donna Otto, and this is Modern Homemakers. Thank you, Crystal, for joining me today and uh, being a part of this Q&A. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make a very uncommon day of leaning in to Christ with the questions of your heart. <music>